God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We've not always known what God is like, but now we do. That quote from Brian Zond has been a theme as we've been going through John since last fall. We took a little break, not from John, but kind of from this theme over the last few weeks with um, the passion and um, resurrection of Christ, but now we're back into John. And you may also remember, well, I don't expect you to remember this. It is actually on the website if you want to uh, uh, see it again. A quote by N.T. Wright, which is particularly good for today's topic. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be human, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what grief is, look at Jesus. And go on looking until you're not just a spectator, but you're actually part of the drama that has him as the central character. So today we're going to be going back into John, to John chapter 11, the very well-known story of the healing of, not the healing, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And um, just a couple of comments before we read the story. Um, As you may know, it's only in the Gospel of John that this story appears. It's a a rather significant story. It's, It's It's full of punch, it's full of power, but for some reason, it doesn't appear in any of the other Gospels. It only appears in the Gospel of John. And it's at a point of increasing tension between Jesus and the Jews and the people of Jerusalem. Right after this, Jesus will go into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry that we talked about a few weeks ago, and Jesus will be and Jerusalem will be racing almost headlong into his suffering, crucifixion, death, and resurrection. So this is a story that ups the ante. It raises the tension uh, very high. We're going to look at the story in two parts. So this is a two-part sermon. The first one is um, before standing before the tomb with, with, the, with the rock, with the stone blocking the door to the tomb. That's going to be the first part. And then the second part is at and after the open tomb. If you have a Bible, feel free to uh, join me. It's also going to be projected on the wall. Or just listen along to um, John chapter 11. We'll start at verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, 
Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. This was a common belief of the Jews, that when the Messiah came to restore the kingdom, everyone, all the Jews, would be raised from the dead. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you led him? Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, Come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So here we're, we're, we're in the middle of this story of sickness and death, which leads to us at this point in the story, standing before this closed tomb. And all through this story up until now, what do we see Jesus doing? How do we see Jesus handling himself? How do, we, how do we see Jesus, who is God incarnate? So as we see Jesus handling himself in this situation, in this crisis, in this sorrow, we're actually seeing God. 
first thing we see is that Jesus is in control. And I don't mean in control in the sense that um, Jesus caused Lazarus to die. I'm growing more and more agnostic about that kind of control that God has over the world. I don't know about that. But we see Jesus in the middle of these events, directing, focusing, making choices, bringing people and events together to accomplish what his purposes and goals are. You notice that he waits a couple days after he hears that Lazarus is sick to go to him. And he says, I'm doing this all so that God's glory may appear, that, that I, God's Son, may be glorified. Jesus makes the decision to go back to Judea even though his life is threatened. And he's doing all of this, he says, in verse 14, so that you will believe. So in this tragedy, in this loss of a loved one, Jesus is standing central and and um, directing what he does in such a way that those who are around him will see God's glory and believe in him. And then it also says very clearly, actually a couple times in this chapter, that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. This kind of expression is not used much in the Gospels. In fact, it's really only used one other time. You maybe remember the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. What must I do to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus told him, you have to sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And he went away sad. And then it says, and Jesus loved him. The only other place where it appears is actually in the book of John about five times where John, the writer, says, talks about the disciple whom Jesus loved. We think he's probably referring to himself. But it happens very rarely in the Gospels, very rarely, that it says that Jesus actually loved somebody. But right in the middle of this tragedy, right right in front of this closed tomb, John says, Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And it says two times, Jesus was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. He was deeply moved. There's a fair amount of discussion about what's exactly meant there. It's the same word that's used to talk about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember on the night before he was betrayed when he's facing the cross and he's He's under great pressure, and his his sweat is coming out like drops of blood as he was deeply moved, deeply troubled. This is that same word. But alongside of being kind of deeply moved and troubled, there's in this word also the sense of anger, of rebuke, of scolding, of warning. I've actually heard one preacher say that maybe at this point when it says that Jesus was deeply troubled and moved in spirit, that his nostrils flared because he was angry 
at what sin and death had done to this family and to this community. So here you have Jesus standing in the middle of these people before this closed tomb, and he's he's at least deeply troubled and most likely angry. Then it says, and this is, of course, this very famous shortest Bible verse, Jesus wept. Tears of deep emotion, tears of deep love, tears of deep sympathy, tears of deep sorrow. And I found this quote, I couldn't find who uh, the source of it, but I thought it was really good. Jesus cried. He knew Lazarus was dead before he got the news, but still he cried. He knew that Lazarus would be alive again in moments, but still he cried. He wept because knowing the end of the story doesn't mean you can't cry at the sad parts. Knowing the end of the story does not mean you can't cry at the sad parts. Jesus stands with his, with his people that he loves in front of this closed tomb, and he weeps. His heart is broken with sorrow. But not only that, Jesus places himself in community, in the community of the mourners, in solidarity with them, He's right in the middle of them. He's with his disciples. He's with Mary and Martha. He's interacting with them. He's saying who he is. I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? He's inviting them in. He places himself in the middle of this weeping family and this weeping friends, and this sorrowing community. He doesn't stand outside. He doesn't heal from afar. He doesn't raise from the dead from afar. He's right in the middle. He's spending days. This story takes four four to five days to develop. And all during that time, Jesus is right there in the middle of that community drawing them together around himself. And as we are at the point of this story, standing in front of this closed tomb. So let me ask you this question. What closed tomb do you stand in front of today? What closed tomb are you looking at? Is it maybe a past where people who were supposed to take care of you didn't? Where you didn't get the love that you should have had? Is it perhaps a tomb of guilt? 
where you've really hurt somebody, you've really betrayed somebody, you've really done damage, and that guilt hangs on you, you carry it around like rocks in a backpack. Or perhaps it's illness, physical, mental, acute, or chronic. Or perhaps it is literally death, that someone you deeply, deeply love has been taken away. And it seems like every day you're standing in front of that closed tomb and feeling that sorrow. Or perhaps some of the relationships that you most want to go well just don't go well. The people you love the most, the people with whom you want to live in peace the most, it just doesn't work. And it feels like you're standing in front of this closed tomb. Or perhaps, and then we lift our eyes a little higher than our personal circumstances. We look at the world around us. You know all the things. The wars, the fighting, that just never seems to end. The environmental catastrophe that's racing up upon us. The issues of racism and sexism. Injustice oppression, marginalization, addiction, incarceration, all those things. What closed tomb are you standing before today? And as you stand there, perhaps in this moment, if you dare, See Jesus, who loves you. He really does love you. You as an individual, your name, like he knew the names of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he knows your name. He doesn't just love you, he loves, of course, All of us. Can you feel that love as you stand before that tomb? Can you see him being in control? I don't, again, I don't necessarily mean that he's maneuvering every circumstance, but he's, he's, he's the, the director. He's the conductor. He's the author of the story. He's the playwright. He's working and he's drawing and it's complex and we don't understand all of it and we're in the middle of the plot. There he is. Can you see him as you stand in front of that tomb? Can you feel the anger of Jesus at the wrong that has been done you and us?
Can you feel how angry Jesus is? Can you see his nostrils flare? As angry as you are, he is, and most likely more. Can you see him weep? Have you ever seen a grown man weep? And I don't just mean one tear, but actually weep. It's not a pretty sight. Have you ever seen a grown man weep? And in front of the tomb in which you, which, before which you stand, can you see Jesus weeping? Can you feel that? And in all of that, can you feel his solidarity with you? This is not some distant God somewhere up there. This is a God who has come down in Jesus, in the flesh, in person, fully human, and is now standing there with you, with us, in front of that closed tomb. There we are, in front of that closed tomb. Now let's read further. 11.38 Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Standing there in front of that closed tomb, Jesus weeping, his nostrils flaring, standing with us. And he says, take away the stone. He springs into action. He starts the move, takes a step. And of course, all the people protest. Number one, everybody knows that once you're dead, you're dead. Once that tomb is closed, there is no opening it. And not only that, if you open it, it is going to stink. I don't know if any of you have ever smelt a dead body. I have several times. 
It is a smell you do not forget. It is awful. She said, open it anyway. I don't care if it's closed. I don't care how heavy the stone is. I don't care how long he's been dead. I'm moving. And so he looks heavenward. He looks toward his heavenly father. He establishes that connection. I'm sure he's gaining strength. And then he says in a loud voice to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips. I think here that Jesus is not only facing the death and burial of Lazarus, but he's also looking ahead to his own death and burial, because that's just a week or so ahead. And Jesus is now starting this move that's going to take him inexorably to his suffering, death, and resurrection. He goes ahead of us. And now, not as by Lazarus, where he stood outside the tomb, but when he died, he went himself into the tomb. And Peter, in his first letter, his apostle Peter, one of his three best friends, gives a hint that Jesus didn't didn't only go into the tomb, but he went into the, the prisons of death and proclaimed the gospel to those who were dead. What that all means, I don't know. But you see this movement of Jesus standing from outside of the tomb with Lazarus, moving ahead through his own death, moving into his own burial, where there was also a stone in front of the tomb, and then moving further into the realm of the dead. That's the move that Jesus makes as you stand in front of your own tomb. Roll the stone away from that tomb. Yeah, but it's been so long. It's hopeless. I can never fix what happened 40 years ago. And that person who's bothering me today, I don't think I'll be able to fix him. And that loved one is actually dead, don't you know? And do you think that I or we as a small community can stand up against the multinationals and actually change something about the exploitation and pollution of our environment? Do you think we can actually do that? I don't don't think so. You know, I can drive my hybrid, but that's about it. And Jesus goes forward. See this movement? From the tomb of Lazarus to his own death, into his own tomb and down to where the spirits of the dead are to preach to them the good news that this tomb does not in the end finally remain closed. 
He does something else, and I'm sure if you've ever heard a sermon on this, you've heard this pointed out. Lazarus comes out, and he's bound, of course, in the grave cloths. And Jesus doesn't unloose him himself. Jesus says to the community, you take care of him. Welcome him back in. Free him. I'm going on. See his inclusion of the community in this whole work of his? You guys deal with him. You guys welcome him back in. Loosen him from the, from the death clothes because I'm moving on. So what Jesus always calls his community to do, the community with, with whom he is in solidarity, is to work with him in this work of restoring what death and destruction and sin have wrought. It's very interesting. Uh, I don't have time to go into it now, but in 1 Corinthians 15, which is the Apostle Paul's great chapter about the resurrection of Christ, it's a chapter in which he gives convincing proofs that Jesus rose from the dead, and he talks in a deep, deep way about what it all means. And there's deep theology there. And then he closes that whole chapter, and most of us don't notice it. That whole chapter, that whole um, sermon or writing or piece of theology is closed with these words, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. After all this theology about the direction, Paul says, now go. Join me in this work because your labor will not be in vain because I have gone through the death, the tomb, Hades, and I've come out. And I am with you. And I will never leave you. And I will always love you. And I will always be angry at sin. And I will always weep with you. And I will always call Lazarus to come out. And I will always call you to join me in that work of restoration and recreation and resurrection. So as you stand in front of your tomb this morning, or whenever you listen to this, what does Jesus mean to you? And how are you going to follow him through that journey? And how are you going to know his love? and his sorrow, and his solidarity? And what choices are you going to make to believe and to join with him in the work to which he's called each one of us as individuals, but all of us together as a community?